You can make your way back to your seat and into the book of Matthew. We will be, uh, we will be in uh, Matthew today. As we, look at, uh, as we look at the idea of going, um, we, are in a, we are in a series that I'd like to call the pre-series to a series. We're going through the DNA of Parkview uh, over about 13 weeks. So we are on week three of three for the pre-series, gather, grow, go, and what that means for us. Uh, next week, we'll have our big uh, kind of kickoff for the fall. So, uh, and then we'll jump into about 10 weeks of talking about what is, what, what are the traits of a disciple? What, what is, what is, what are some of the things, what are the thoughts and the activities and the, and the emotions that uh, a true disciple of Christ has? Um, and so, uh, so we're kind of ending the one part of it, and, uh, and I'm really excited to talk about going. I, I'm usually excited just to talk about anything when I'm looking at the Bible, but going is a really fun one uh, because it's what we do. It's a given. And so I think it's one of those where you don't have to convince people to go. We just have to think about how we go. Um, and so I'm really excited about that uh, this morning. But uh, next week is going to be the kickoff uh, for the fall ministries. Um, so we're going to have a block party, uh, kind of a, a just some time with some bouncy house, some bags tournament, uh, some food, potluck, that kind of stuff. Uh, if you've not been here before, we potluck very well. So come, and, and, it's, and it's really good. Uh, I did not get any tin roost uh, um, uh, appetizers last time, so I'm a little upset with you, but you still have a chance to redeem yourself. Uh, so please go there and do that uh, next week for me. Um, uh, we will start, though, at 1030. You saw the sign on the front door, which was so odd for me. For three years, I've seen a different sign. Today was a different sign. And it's just, it's a, it's a new thing for me. But it says 1030 on there. So as you leave, make sure you read the 1030 15 times. And then come at 1030, not 10. If you come at 10, we'll probably have, like, some donuts and a high five for you. And we'll talk and make it less awkward. But 1030 is when we're going to kick it off next week. So if you're wondering why we had silent prayer for 30 minutes of the service, uh, it's because we weren't starting yet. Um, so, uh, just remember that. Um, the other thing is, uh, yeah, children will return. If you've not been here, the children will return after the sermon. So if your kid comes and bugs you, uh, at the end, he's not bugging you. He's joining you for worship and receive them, uh, joyfully. So, uh, if you've not been here before, it's a thing we do and it could throw you off. Um, all right. Matthew is where we'll be. Uh, now, with all my rambling, I do want to pause and make sure that we, we center ourselves here in the book of Matthew, in God's word. I do want to pray one more time for this sermon. It is very important that we understand what, what, what God's word has for us today, and I don't want to make light of it. So let's pray one more time. God, thank you for all the activity you give us uh, in, the, in the life of the church. Uh, thank you for all the things that we can do and the opportunities we can have. Please, I pray that you would, you would uh, remind us powerfully as we look into your word that our programs mean nothing, uh, that, our, that our songs mean nothing, that, that our personalities mean nothing if we don't have you, uh, that all we're doing is some strange social gathering experiment uh, if we don't have you. As we look into your word, we pray that the Spirit would convict us of Christ, that, that, we, would, that we would have a, a taste, a, a desire, a thirst for more of Christ in our lives. Please do that with your word today. And shape our going so that it be reflective of you in thought, word, and deed. Amen. So uh, we're on go. Uh, gather, grow, go. If you want to know uh, more of what gather and grow mean uh, at Parkview and how we, how we view that, um, the big answer is uh, we grow or we gather because of Christ, for Christ. We do this in worship. We grow in Christ's likeness as we look into his word and follow the spirit. And we go 
on mission, uh, and, and uh, we're going to shape that one today. There's this idea, though, that I, uh, if you know me, uh, I'm a word nerd, so I get go, and obviously I do like a word search of the entire Bible on go. So that was nerdy. If you want the notes, you can have them. Um, the, uh, but I'm just like, well, what is go? Like, well, what does it mean? Like, if we're going somewhere, why do we need to be told to go? I feel like that was assumed. What, how, are we, how are we shaping this? As we look through uh, the book, uh, or through the Bible, we see like, that the word go is used a lot in a lot of different ways. We're going to focus on one of those um, today. Three times it occurs in the book of Matthew on the lips of Jesus. He says, go and, you can fill in the blank, go and do something. Um, so you can probably guess now, we'll hit some of those. Um, and all of this, it really, it really helps us to, 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 to shape not our going, but the way in which we go. Uh, because I think that we need to hear this. Jesus knows that people back then needed to hear this, and we especially need to hear this today in 2018 in Johnson County because we are very busy people. We are very, very busy, and our busyness does something to shape us. It's not that we're busy and we have busy calendars. Uh, Oftentimes, we're too busy to reflect on how busy we are and see what it's doing to our own sense of identity. There's, a, there's a, an article that I read in, in the book, or in, uh, what is it, the magazine, uh, Forbes magazine, uh, and it's on uh, how being busy makes you unproductive. Uh, the, uh, the, the journalist there was writing on this idea that multitasking uh, is actually less efficient. He had some studies that he, that he kind of rolls off and says, you know, when you have just two items that you're multitasking on, uh, studies have proven that this, you lose so much of that, whatever, that efficiency by switching your mind to the different tasks that you think you're doing more in the same amount of time, but you're actually doing both things slower 25%, um, or you're 25% slower in your, in your activity. So, okay, that's one thing for multitasking. Jesus isn't speaking to multitasking here. The, the, this article, though, then develops, he says, this one little case to show that we really want to be busy, because if we're not going for productivity, because it's not really the outcome of what multitasking does, then why do we multitask? Why do we try and fill our lives with busyness? And he does a really nice job of just suggesting pretty pointedly, but not really developing it. I'll develop it. He suggests that our busyness is something that our culture has legitimized so that we equate busy with important. Busy people are important. And I want to be busy, so I'm I, or I want to be important, so I'm really busy. We schedule a lot of that stuff. When we sit at home on a Friday night, we're thinking, oh, this is a waste. And maybe you're a teacher and Friday night doing nothing is a blessing. But uh, those nights where you feel like you should be out and about, fear of missing out, we want to be busy people because we want to be important. Now, I want to look at that because I thought that was, that was fascinating for what Jesus says about going. Because this idea of busyness, it does something to shape us. Here are three ways in which I think that our busyness shapes us in ways that the gospel is very much against. Busyness convinces us to believe that we have the master plan. If I'm able to flow from this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing seamlessly and I knock knock every single meeting out of the park, I feel like that is a day where Josh has conquered all. And, And maybe you're like that as well, where a busy schedule done well actually means that you are the master. You can control your fate. You know that maybe if you don't go the right way, if things fall apart and you miss a meeting or you're late or here or there, then all of a sudden you start to realize maybe I'm not the savior, maybe I'm not the one with the master plan, and you feel that stress as well. Busyness reinforces our notion that we have the answers within us. So maybe it's not just our presence and designing our plan, but maybe it's the fact that people come to us and we like being busy when people, we're the answer guy. 
Uh, and, and, and so we, we, we have all these answers, and we want to be the one to make decisions, even if we don't like making decisions. It makes us feel important. Busyness encourages us to delegate or recruit or do whatever we can to get more on board with accomplishing what we've designed the good end is. And so maybe that's something, maybe you're in a position where you have to delegate those things. Now that's part of your job, but I think if we're we're honest, sometimes we marry people that we can recruit to help us achieve what we wanted. Sometimes we condition our kids to act certain ways so that it advances us towards that goal of whatever we want. And sometimes we, uh, we, we talk to our friends or invite people to things and give them a little insight on this thing or that thing so it'll shape them when they enter that, that, that social gathering so that we can achieve whatever end we want. There's things, there are things that we do with our busyness. We create busyness, but we also need to know that we are being created by our busyness. We are being formed in that. Jesus is going to say there's something else that we can do with our activity. There's something else that we can do with our going And there's a redemptive way to do this because the end goal is not how sovereign I am. The end goal is not how all-knowing I am. The end goal is not how attractive I am. The end goal of our going is Christ. And so that's the big point here. It's been up on the screen. That is the point that we are going to make in our going today is make Christ the point of your going every day. That's a big statement. We're going to flesh that out in three different ways here. The first time we see Jesus say, Go and do something is in Matthew 9. So if you want to flip over to Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 10 through 13, because we're going to be in a couple different um, texts here, I actually have it up on the screen. It's wonderful to have it in front of you in, uh, so that you can kind of see the context because that makes, uh, that's very important here. I'll read it right now. Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn. And I'm going to say that a little differently. Uh, Go and learn the good news of Jesus. Uh, how, do, how do I get to that, that point there? There are a couple of things happening. Jesus is citing some Old Testament text, but it's important to know that he's citing that Old Testament text to people who are teachers of that Old Testament text. Um, so the Pharisees are the religious elite, and they, they hold the tradition. Uh, maybe I'll liken them to uh, Pharisees today. We don't use that term today, but there are many of us Pharisees sitting here and preaching at you today uh, that think that their tradition and their preferences have backing in Scripture, and so, uh, so we can make you align to our subculture or preference, and that's Christianity. And what they're saying is Jesus, the Bible or the Scriptures say to, to not hang around sin, to, to be holy, to be, to be away. We've constructed what that holiness is. We don't think tax collectors are holy or can ever be holy. And so you're sitting with them. What are you doing away from us? They're creating what I would call a Christian subculture and then making it a legalistic one where, where, they have to, where Jesus himself has to follow their ways. And maybe you're like this. Maybe you are a person who, who would much rather uh, uh, live the comfortable life 
that, that you imagine Christianity to be as opposed to the uncomfortable things that you keep reading in the Bible. Go and do this. Go and evangelize. Go and speak to your neighbor. Go and help people when it's crazy and convenient. Be hospitable beyond what you think your means are. Those are really uncomfortable things. And the Pharisees, if you're one of them, like I am, say, ah, that's a little too much. I'll just go to worship on Sunday because we can more or less contain that contribution. Jesus says to them, to you, to me, go and learn what this means. He quotes Hosea 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So here's a little bit longer of that verse, Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So here's something that, that's kind of happened. I'm going to step back here and give you, equip you a little bit more for Bible reading. What happens when Jesus or anyone in the New Testament uh, quotes the Old Testament? This is a big deal here. Uh, the Old Testament is actually quoted a lot in the New Testament. So what happens to these Pharisees, I'll just go with this situation here, is that Jesus is quoting something that they would have known. It's like uh, I'm drawing a blank on any kind of movie quote that I could give you right now. I should have written one down. It's like if I would quote a movie. Man, Tommy Boy seems to be the one I always go to. Why do I do that? When he says, Richard, you know, like he says it that way. Um, like it, it, the way I say it, you can kind of get that reference there. And some of you laughed because you got all of the other baggage that comes with that. You're not just hearing me say the word Richard there. Why do I go to Tommy? I got to get a bunch of new of these. I hate this one. Um, but that, that you say it and the words are not simply conveyed. There's a whole shape. There's a whole thing around it. Now, and maybe we quote, uh, if you know someone who, who quotes movies often, this is a thing. Like the, they're not going for the actual words. They're going for the reference. And they want to see who gets the reference there, right? Uh, you do that with movies. You do it with other things. Um, and so that's, that's a big deal. When Jesus says this to the Pharisees, here's what's happening. He's saying, hey, Pharisees, you're the teachers, right? Now, you know the law and the prophets, and you're holding that pretty high. I'm going to quote your movie. I'm going to quote your prophet Hosea, because if you're teaching this, then you would have known this, right? So it's kind of offensive now that he's telling the teachers to go and learn what they're teaching, right? So, okay, there's this offense level. There's, it's going to be there forever, and uh, seemingly the Pharisees are going to win on this fight, but Jesus comes back. Three days later, why do I go there? Because Hosea goes there. That's what the reference to Hosea is doing. There's much more in this. As we read the Bible, we need to know that they are understanding more than just the words that are being conveyed. They understand all of what we call Hosea 6, and they just call it like part of Hosea. They didn't have the numbers then. So I kind of want to read a little bit of what Hosea has to say. Hosea 6, 1 through 3, we started off this morning with that. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Interesting. Uh, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Our God is going to come. He will rise on the third day. He will make us clean. He will make us better. He will make us live. Let us return to the Lord. He has torn us that he may heal us. Let us be convicted by the word of the Lord so that we may be healed by that very word. Oh, that's beautiful. So they say, why are, you, why are you dining with sinners? And he said, because the sinners just like you need to be broken by the word so that they can be healed by the word. 
They need to be fed on the healing, life-giving bread of life. And that's what I bring. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So when you make these rules, and when you say that Christianity is this thing, not eating with these people, going and eating with the sparkly people, going in the, the headline makers, the ones who are, who are, who are, who are on the, uh, the chamber of commerce, who are, who are driving the culture, so to speak, those are the people we need to go to, right? Especially in a big church. We need a lot of the heavy hitters, the big givers, the, the, the leaders of the businesses. We need the ones that are, that are, that are driving all of our corporations. We could, we could easily become a church that's very much in the way of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would love it and come to it. And the Pharisees would say, why are those left outs? Why are the uneducated? Why are the needy always dragging on us? Well, here's why, because Jesus goes and eats with them. And he says, it's not what they bring to the table, right? It's, we're going to celebrate this, what I bring to the table. It's me. I, I, I'm what gives this to them. I'm going to rise so that they may be healed. I am that sacrifice. I am that burnt offering. I am what goes on the altar, not their preferences, not their checklist of items. So I've got a sign in my office, thought about hanging it up uh, on, on the podium today. It says, sinners welcome. That's it. This is, so everybody come. Just come on in. This is what it is. So Jesus says, as we go, go humbly. Go teachably. Go with a posture of learning. Go and learn what the good news is. The good news is not that Parkview is awesome. The good news is not that Josh is a fantastic preacher. If you ever want to know if I am, you can listen to me, listen to my own sermons, and you will find out that I think I'm the worst preacher ever. Uh, and it's none of that stuff. It's Christ. Christ is the point. Christ is the, is the reason why we, we do anything. Go and learn the good news of Jesus, that he saves sinners from the wrath of God because God is holy and just. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to hear. That's what we need to always be behind. So, a small reference to Hosea gives us a big shape of what that go is. Go and learn the good news of Jesus. Jesus says, go and do something else in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, we'll go to the next one. Go and tell. Now, what happens here? Go and tell the works of Christ. I'm going to frame this one up and then I'll read it. Go and tell the works of Christ. Uh, there's a guy named John the Baptist. We've heard about him a little bit here at the beginning of Matthew. We'll hear about him, you know, throughout Matthew. Um, and Luke kind of binds his story together. He's, he's the cousin of Jesus, which is, uh, is, is amazing. He's not uh, a Baptist like denomination. He baptizes people, Jesus, or John the Baptizer. Um, he, he baptizes, and he's also a prophet. He is the one that comes from the desert and says, and says, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one we are waiting for. He is the king who will come. Now, the real king at that time, Herod, doesn't like this. He's in, he throws him in prison. So now we get to uh, Matthew 11. John is in prison, and he asks some questions. Uh, we can go to the text there on the screen. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. 
The dead are raised up. The poor have gone, uh, have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. There are a couple things that happen here. Go and tell the works of Christ. See, uh, the disciples came and asked Jesus this question. Are you the one or should we go look for another? Now, why are they asking this? Because John sent them to ask it. But why is John asking this? Because he has seen, what does it say here? Because John had seen, the, uh, heard of the works of Christ, uh, had heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. There we go. About what Jesus is doing. I think a lot of times uh, we, we think that uh, as we go as Christians, we want to go and invite people to our programs. Not necessarily bad if they're focused on Christ. And we want to go and tell them how awesome our music was. Not necessarily bad if it's, unless it's focused on Christ. Uh, we want to tell them how great our community is, our people are. And we want to proclaim the good works of us, right? We want, we, want to, we want to go that way. We want to market our church. We want to make it flashy and good. Jesus is saying, no, you know, you, you might be like, not like a Pharisee who, who's saying my tradition. You might be more like a disciple of John who is devout, who wants to know this stuff. But you, you're just wondering, is Jesus actually the one Maybe you've grown up in the church and you've sang these songs and you've gone to these programs and you've done these things and you think, yeah, I generally understand who Jesus is. But I'm not sure he's my Jesus. Like, I'm not sure he's good enough to be in my life and be my Messiah. That's kind of where the disciples are. Now, they're cautious that way. They're not skeptics. They're not, they're not like testing him. They're really eager. They want to know. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're saying that there's got to be something more to this faith. Like, I just haven't quite figured this out. I feel like I'm knocking on the door and I don't get anywhere. Is Jesus it? And Jesus says in a wonderful way, you're teachers, you've learned, you've learned from a prophet. And so I'll quote a prophet, Isaiah. He takes him there. Isaiah 20, uh, 28, 29. We've got it on the screen. Can you go to the next one? Isaiah 29, he quotes this and he says, Isaiah says, in that day, the day that the Messiah will come, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of the gloom of darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt the Holy One of Israel. So here he goes again, saying, Isaiah says, he's going to recreate Israel. He is going to restore this beauty, and these are the ways that it will be marked. These people come to Jesus, and they say, we've heard some stuff that you do. Are you that guy? And Jesus, without saying yes or no, wisely says, you see what I'm doing? Only God can do this stuff. Only the Messiah can do these things. That's what I'm doing. So sometimes we want to make God uh, check out on all of our, our prescripted questions. We want, to, we want him to, to answer, you know, why cancer? Why divorce? Why whatever that list is for you? And we want him to answer directly in one sentence what it is. Does he do that with the disciples of John? No. He says... Go and tell what you see. What, what, where are your answers? Your answers are in what you've seen and experienced. So I can could, I could imagine here you have maybe experienced something. Maybe you haven't, and we need to pray for this, that, it, that, that, that he speaks to you this way. There are many times in my own life that, that God has not directly answered a question. I've got a strained relationship with my dad, and I've always wondered, why, God? Why would you do that? A couple of weeks ago, I got to talk to this boy who's having a strained relationship with his dad, and it was like Christ was there saying, you have been given this gift so that you can now speak rightly and, and passionately and boldly and confidently about the love of the Father in the midst of a wayward father. 
Oh, my goodness. It was, it, was, it was beautiful. What did I do there? I didn't say, oh, hey, I'm the pastor and I believe in Jesus. So you better believe in Jesus. I said, I, said, I, I don't understand why God gives us crappy fathers. But this father's fantastic. And I've seen other fathers in the church model what that is rightly. Holy smokes. Now the disciples of John are no longer asking this question of, please directly answer my question. They're saying, I can see this. And Jesus says, now go tell people that. Now go tell people that. Go tell John that. Go tell him that I'm actually working among you. That you can ask me whatever question you want and I'm answering it in, 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 through the side door, through the back door, through all of these ways in all creation. I'm answering your questions. I love you so much and I'm so very sovereign and I want to dwell with you. That's your answer to your question and you can see it everywhere. Go and tell the works of Christ. So as we go as a people... Go and learn the good news of Jesus. Go and tell the works of Christ. And then we get to the last one here. Go and make disciples. Matthew 28. I'll read this here, a beloved passage. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a well-worn verse. I'll only give a couple insights on it. Because I think that they help us to combat our sinful, prideful busyness. He says, go and busy yourself this way. Go and make disciples of the nations. But he starts by saying, uh, he says, go therefore. Uh, He doesn't just start by saying, go therefore. He's been talking for a while. Uh, So what does he say before this? If you have a paper Bible or you want to scroll back up on your screen, you can see what he's saying. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given on me. We don't just start with go, therefore. All authority has been given to me. I have the authority to make disciples. I have the authority to turn hearts. I have the authority to conquer death and sin. I have the authority to to pray and and, and mediate for the Father. I am the sufficient sacrifice for sin. I am the newness of life. All of that authority is mine. I am in that authority. I am the king of this kingdom. My authority is there. So what do you do? You just go. You just go be the herald. You go and proclaim this kingdom. And you do this by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to observe. You do this by submitting to my will. You do uh, things that, 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 that would seem strange if I weren't the authority. I am the one on which you can stand. And so you can baptize. You can be obedient and baptize in a way where, where even the people baptizing are under the mercy of God, uh, just as much as the person going under the water is at the mercy that someone will bring them back up uh, You are going to practice that I am the authority driving this. And when you teach, maybe it seems like you're teaching with authority, but what you're teaching is to observe that all I've commanded you. You're teaching the ways of enjoying the authority of God. So what does it mean for us as we go? We go and proclaim God's authority. And we do it as though God has that authority. So here's where that that, that divide is. And I I want to hit us really hard here because I think we can understand some of this stuff here. But then there, there's just culturally a thing that we just can't shake is, is this idea of consumerism, of marketing, of, of whatever it is. We want this to be sparkly, shiny, new. We want to show that God has authority and that he has authority to help you and comfort you 
And he has authority to make things good for you and authority to help you with your, with your move or, or your job change. He also has authority to convict you of your sin and send you to hell rightly if you don't repent of that sin. Like that's another authority that we don't get too much. He has all of that authority and that is good news. That our God, our king, doesn't just say, hey, I'm up here as the comfortable king who's really powerful and give you a sovereign, omnipresent hug. That's not what he's doing. He's reigning all of reality. And so we can lean into him. We can go to him and ask those questions. That's why he says, go and learn what this is. Because we can go to him with the questions. He can say, go and tell because he is perfectly in line and balanced with all of his attributes. He is holy and just and loving and merciful. He has all knowing. He, he has all of these attributes. And that makes him the best being there is to run to. And for some reason, the author of the story decided to enter the story and save some so that he could be with them. Now that is an incredible king. That is an incredible kingdom. He says, you're going to be busy. You're going to do some stuff. You're going to want to be the king. You're going to want to rule your schedule. You're going to want to be the answer guy. You're going to want to make disciples who look a whole lot more like you than they do Christ. So as you parent as you friend, as you uh, uh, have direct reports coming to you, as whatever it is you do, make sure that you're shaping the people around you to be more like Christ than you. Man, I feel like so confident when he says go that this is a blow to my ego. Like This is a different kind of going than I think I've ever had. But as I sit in it longer and look over these, go and learn, go and tell, go and make I realize that there is a deeper confidence when I have Christ as the cornerstone of my going. Make Christ the point of your going. So I want to take a moment here. It's going to be a little bit of prayerful self-reflection. So I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. You know what you need to do or you need to have time to think about it. So I'm going to give you some time to think about it. Make Christ the point of your going. So we hear go and learn to be teachable. Go and learn the good news. So I'm going to throw out a couple scenarios here, and I'm going to take a moment for you to pray or think about what you need to do, what you need, what action you need to take on this. So go and learn to be teachable. Go and learn the good news. The good news is that if you, if you tend towards pride, you're not the Savior. In church, we can roll our eyes at it, but I'm going to give you quiet time to be convicted by it because let's be honest, there's some of that. You're not the savior. You can't save your wife or your kids or your job or your marriage. You can't do those things. And that's not what you're called to do. You can't make yourself a Christian. You can't do those things by enough good works. But on the other side, maybe you tend towards shame. Your identity is from the savior, that you are forgiven, that you are a beloved child of God if you have faith in him. So I want to take a moment. Where are you? Where do you need to hear the Savior speaking to you, to be, to be teachable and to learn the good news in your own life. Take a moment. Okay, I'll give you another one. 
This is tough, man. This is, this is uncomfortable. Uh, go and tell the good news. Not of your wisdom or your good success, but of salvation from death through Jesus Christ. Go and tell the good news. So what is the good news that you share? Is the good news that God is going to help them or that God has slain death? What is your hope as a Christian? How does Christ give you that hope? And maybe if uh, those are questions to ask and talk about, maybe here's what you can pray. Pray for an increase of the Spirit's guidance in conviction, truth, and the glory of Christ. Take a moment there. Pray for God to help you to understand and tell the story rightly. And as we go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to ask what are our next steps. So this is where the prayers of the people are really helpful. There's somebody, there's somebody that you can think of right now. Who needs Christ that you know and you will see this week? You probably thought of somebody right now. Okay, that's your person. If you didn't think of somebody right now, do it again. You'll probably get it. Um, make a move towards them. And I, I, I don't know, this might be controversial. I don't feel like you need to run through a tract with them today. I don't think you need to run through the Romans road with them today. Maybe even building a a relationship with them is going to be better. Oftentimes people need to know that they're loved and feel the love of Christ before they experience rightly and receive the truth of Christ. Now, don't 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 go towards a total weird end on that and for a decade be building the loving relationship. You got to get to Christ. You got to get there. But you might need to just start moving steps towards that. Oh yeah. Why do you do what you do? You know, we don't we don't need to land on anything. Just hear them. I think sometimes we confidently go as the one who is Christ and give our message and our version of our church or our faith and we haven't actually figured it out. So, the awkward one, maybe you need to sideline yourself for a bit and actually reevaluate. Am I a Christian? Am I really thinking through this? Do I understand what the good news is? Do I, do I really get this? Because if I don't really get this and I've not really experienced this, then what am I actually telling people? It's a good work and it might be a work you need to do. We don't often hear preachers say that. We usually say, name someone and go convert them. Okay, that's maybe not it, (laughs) but we get there. So think of that person and pray that God would give you the next step and the boldness to do that and hold you accountable to when you don't take that step. So pray now. God, our busyness shapes us in terrible ways. Our busyness is something that we've created and we've legitimized to be one of the better gospels that we, that we, uh, we take in each week. We want to be the Savior. Uh, we want to design the plan. We want to decide who's in and who's out. We pray that you would effectively kill that in our hearts now. Where busyness convinces us to believe we have a master plan, we pray that Jesus and his urging would help us to be humbly teachable, to learn the good news. Uh, for, For salvation, but also for everyday life, where we need the good news of Jesus in his truth, his justice, his love, and his mercy. 
God, where our busyness reinforces our notion that we have the answers within us, we pray that you would make Christ very big in our lives to go and faithfully tell his story of truth, of love, of hope, of healing, and do so as he reveals it in Scripture. Where our busyness encourages us to bring on board supporters for our goals, God, we pray that you would help us to understand that Jesus urges us to go humbly and make disciples who delight in Christ's authority. We pray that we would be known as a people who go in the way of Christ. Please convict us when we are not doing that. Please guide us to do that. And please help us support each other in this effort. You give us the gift of going. We pray that we use it for fruitful purpose. Amen.